You said you wanted to do the ASMR for the people. Do it. Do it and be done. I said this was your one last chance. It's going to be gross. It's me eating a banana. Yeah, I know. That's why I don't want you to do it in the first place. Then I won't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll get an opportunity one other time. You have one last opportunity, and then we're never doing it again. Ashley, why? Because it's gross and disgusting. Exactly. And me. We're eating while we're recording. I'm sorry. I want a banana. Okay. Oh, I man. need potassium, Ashley. Okay. I'm also eating whilst recording, but I'm doing it quietly. That's true. So I also am now using banana as a gun. Which you've done three times now. I held it against her head before we started recording. She demanded that I let her do ASMR, and then she didn't follow through. So. I'm going to take it for another time. Okay. Well, while you... What if it's like starring macaroni in a bowl? That's exactly what it's going to sound like. Do you really want that recorded out in the world? No. Okay. I don't even like ASMR. I think it's freaking weird. I just like it because it pisses you off. You don't have to sit there and listen to it while you edit. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, while you two finish eating your before the show snacks, I'm going to... Again, I'm powering up. (laughs) Okay, that's great. I'm going to go ahead and just do a little disclaimer before the episode. Okay. Oh, we don't know, or me and KB don't know what she's actually talking about. Ashley's nope. been very secretive. Yep. And I was really fun watching you panic all afternoon, Sally, about like, well, but what is the topic? You don't have to tell me exactly what we're talking about. What is the topic? So you see, you get you get a kick out of playing torture with my brain, but yeah. I can't do ASMR on the podcast for the fans. It's not for the fans. <laughs> I just like to watch the world burn. Again, chaotic neutral. <laughs> Which is why I liked watching you panic this afternoon as you finished your notes. Like to watch me squirm. Anyway, disclaimer for this episode. We've now had 10 episodes. We have? Woo! This is our 11th episode. Yep. And we've focused on individuals thus far. Yeah. But I think we get to these, like, really juicy, meaty discussions Mm -hmm. about kind of this overall theme of that person's life and, like, the the ramifications of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to try something a little bit different for our 11th episode. And so for this episode, I don't have a specific person I'm talking about. There is not an individual that I'm going to be focusing on. Okay. Instead... with it! Instead, I'm going to go ahead and just bring up a topic that I would like us to discuss. Okay. Um, and kind of see where that leads us. Now, this might make for a very strange episode, mostly because we don't have a specific part where we'll take a break. We're just going to kind of find that naturally, I think. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the disclaimer for this episode. It's going to be controlled chaos. Sure. <laughs> Welcome to Legendary Lasses. I'm Ashley. I'm KB. I'm Sally. And today... I would like to talk about two books in particular, which are going to bring us to our discussion. Okay. The first of which is Princesses Behaving Badly by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. 
Now, this is like, you will see books like this everywhere. Mm-hmm. This was specifically a Barnes and Noble's edition. Yeah. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Okay. The second book I have is Good Girl Messages, How Young Women Were Misled by Their Favorite Books by Deborah O'Keefe. Oh, yes. I'm very excited to hear about that. Yes. So this is the second book by Deborah O'Keefe that I've read. Um, The first one I read was for school. And as soon as I saw this was on her other books by the author, I was like, I have to read this. Yeah. I'm very interested in young women reading novels. Uh I think it gets talked about a lot by women authors, but not generally. Yeah. So going back to this princess is behaving badly. I originally was going to pick a specific person from this book because I like women who are in some sort of power, basically saying no to everyone else who counsels them. Yeah. And doing their own thing anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think we'll come back to, obviously, because I want to talk about Christina of Sweden. Yes. I would like to compare her to Elizabeth I of England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they have very simil- some similarities in their lives and around the same time period as well. Mm-hmm. But instead, I kept finding myself coming back to the title of the book, Princesses Behaving Badly. Yeah. And I want to kind of formulate this first question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Again, I have no notes in the, for this. Okay. I'm literally just staring at the two of you. Okay. <laughs> so. Right, it's the blind leading the blind. <laughs> so I guess we'll be formulating the questions together and responding mm-hmm. is how I see this working. I want to ask you guys what you think about this title. My first reaction is badly for who? Exactly. Okay. Who's defining what bad is? Maybe badass. Sure. Could be. But I I feel like, like you said, a lot of this is about women in power who go against what their advisors say, do their own thing, forge their own path, Uh do what they know is best. Yeah. And I think if it was men in power, we would say, oh, he's such a strong leader. He's a trailblazer. Yeah, exactly. So, but with women, it's... They're behaving badly. Mm-hmm. And the word behaving also is very yes, interesting. Yes, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost childlike. Like we expect children to behave. Yeah. And then for much of history, we expect women similarly to mm-hmm. behave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are just initially from the title. Those are a couple of things. Also, like to a lesser degree, the idea of princess, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because there's a lot of women in these books that are titled queen or higher. Yeah. Because I think princess princess? is very, it sounds very delicate, you know, Mm -hmm. and... um, Or high maintenance. High maintenance women get called princesses. Yeah. Yes. And And I think that's what we've made it over time. Yeah. Because it's very much a political position, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and... I think we've made it into something like that. And so, but the word choice for us now, since it's written now, Mm -hmm. is an interesting one. Yeah. This was published 2013. Yeah. So fairly recent. recent. Yeah. And while it's a very interesting read, it does, to kind of explain the book, it, it has broken out into different categories of women. Okay. So warriors. Okay. Usurpers. Hmm. Which I think is an interesting choice of word. Yeah. Schemers. Schemers. What? Schemers. Survivors. Okay. 
Okay. Partiers. Okay. Floozies. Ugh. And mad women. I'm very Why interested. Mad? I'm very interested. In I'm mad categories. right now. Yes. And I think. And this is not because... to rip the book apart. Let me yeah. before I yeah. before I get into this. Let me. This is not ripping apart the book. Yeah. I understand why she chose these categories mm-hmm. once you get into it. And she, she does provide very good, I would say, balanced, short little photograph accounts of these women's lives. Okay. And it's very much, like, enough to get someone interested to go and read more about that specific person. Okay. Saying that, though. The categories. Mm. Yes. And I think it's something we do... We have archetypes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think archetypes for women a lot of the time fall into kind of either this virgin maiden, wonderful pedestaled woman. Damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. And if she's not that, then she's a floozy, like is one of the categories or scheming or there's something else that's quote unquote wrong with her. But scheming men... We would never hear. Yeah. Or we would, we would mean, call we them, I don't know a good word for it. Strategists. Strategists. Or um, there's a story that I read for one of my classes where it's, there's a foil of the main character who is male. Uh-huh. And this foil is a woman and behaves the same way and thinks in the same strategic ways that he does. Yeah. And she gets called cunning. Mm-hmm. Um, which has a negative connotation to it, I mm-hmm. would say. Because you're, like, cunning like a fox is cunning. You know, like, you're mischievous in some way. Mm. It's just words we don't hear applied to men. I think specifically men in positions of power. Yeah. Um, Cunning's a little more neutral. A little bit. I would say now it is. Scheming mm-hmm. is very much a... It feels shady, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you're getting away with something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was very intrigued by the title of this book because mm-hmm. like you said, I think there's a way that women are expected to behave. Yeah. And when we don't do that, we get categorized by these archetypes. Yeah. And I would say that's pretty much true for every lady we've talked about so far mm-hmm. and we'll continue to talk about. Yeah, that's an interesting... The second question I want to pose is how women who are supposed to be sheltered, mm-hmm. not so much today, I'm going to talk historically, mm-hmm. women are supposed to be sheltered and kept quote-unquote pure, which can have a variety of meanings, Yeah, but also expected to have some sort of knowledge about how the world works so they aren't lost in it. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a... I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's they're supposed to be innocent and pure and not know anything, but also like but if they get if taken th- in by then someone. It's, how didn't you know better? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't you know it's better? It's the spring awakening problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, Tuts in Houston is doing a production of Spring Awakening. A few of my friends are in it and I want to go see so it. So we're going? Yes. Okay, great. Oh, I love that musical. It's so good. The the play is a lot it was a little different. It was very different. Very different. Mm-hmm. Very different. Yes. I'd heard that it, you know, I knew yes. about the different versions and things, and that no, it was very like the, the stage play is closer to the. It was a novel. It was a stage play. Wasn't it a novel as well? Or am I making I'm, that up? I'm yeah, sure, there was I, a like a different written version. Yeah, or something, yeah, but I don't know if it was before or after. Yeah, 
But anyway. It went through several iterations. Adaptations. Yeah. Yeah, but... But the second question leads me to the, our second book, mm-hmm. uh, Good Girl Messages. Yeah. And specifically the tagline, how young women were misled by their favorite books. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of Jane Austen. Yes. For a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. But my favorite book is Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Because it features a young heroine, Catherine, who learns about the world through books, yeah. specifically gothic novels, yeah. where it's all very <laughs> melodramatic, swoony, swoony frightening. Mm-hmm. Every corner hides a dark secret, and yeah. every family manor has a murder in it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So about that time, women were reading novels for the first time because they were one being published around this time yeah. for the first time. And two, what else were they doing? Yeah. Needlepoint. Needlepoint. Sewing. Drawing. All those accomplishments. The accomplishments of a young lady. Yeah. But throughout this time period as well, there's critics railing against young women reading these novels. Because they are, quote unquote, ludicrous or vulgar or... I mean, pick any negative adjective. Yeah. And it makes them too swoony and too, like... They feel too much. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of these gothic novels are being written by women as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, what is it? I just forgot. It's the book that Catherine's reading. Mysteries of Udolpho. Mysteries of Udolpho was written by a lady. Mm -hmm. One of the best-selling gothic novels. Yeah. It's very swooshy. But... Her male characters are the ones who faint and cry. Mm-hmm. So you see this with a lot of, like, is it restoration period plays? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And particularly Afrobin, mm-hmm. I feel like, because it's written by a woman. A lot of the time, her and her female heroines get criticized. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, if you really look at their characters, who are the ones that are sensible? And it's all the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's her male characters who are just completely, mm-hmm. they they don't have any good sense. Yeah, no. So. I think it's another restoration comedy. I think we might have read it in the Jane Austen class, The Rivals. Yes. Mm-hmm. It opens with a young lady reading a novel. Yeah. And like, be, like she's very excitable. Mm-hmm. She is what Jane Austen might call a silly, silly young girl. Yeah. But it opens with her reading a novel and her aunt coming home. And her turning to her maid going hide them hide all the books yeah because her aunt doesn't approve of them yeah none of the adults of the older generation in that play yeah they think they all think novels are they represent a particular thing yeah i guess yeah to them but i i want to kind of focus on this main character because before the ending where she it's a melodrama you guys it ends with a wedding like (laughs) there's no surprises here but before the ending where she is out of that room and, and getting married to the man of her dreams, which is like Ugh. not the man of her dreams. No. Girl, dream better. <laughs> but we only see her in that room. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very important because, see, now I wish I had brought out my other book, which is The Mad Woman in the Attic. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's yes. a fantastic book. And it, it I forgot who the author is right now, but I can always link it. It talks about this uh, Victorian literature trope of madness in women. Yeah. 
Well, also there's a gothic theme of women being trapped in a castle, you yeah. know, like locked away in the yeah. tower. Or like, which is like interesting, this like locking away the femininity. It's in the House of Usher as well. Like mm-hmm. she's entombed. Yeah. Like you entomb the feminine, yeah. right? Because it's not, we don't want your sushi feelings. <laughs> yeah. But... Like there was this there's this lady forgot her name. She kept like she had a secret lover, oh, and her oh, mother. At one point, her mother um, locked her in the attic of the house for like years. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. What? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. like she was like found like yeah. It was, yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. She she's malnourished, right? Yeah, malnourished. Yeah. And she oh was like a skeleton with skin over it when they found her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Unfortunately, that happened a lot. <laughs> but this idea that we only see her in this one room before she's married, which we would then assume she's locked in another room somewhere mm-hmm. because she's married and where else is she going to go? Exactly. The way she escapes it is by novel reading. Yeah. Her life lessons come from books. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that... I have argued, and my teacher disagreed with me, that Northanger Abbey is Jane Austen's advocation for this. Yeah. If young women are not allowed to learn Mm -hmm. and go to school and be a productive member of society other than reproducing, how else are they to learn? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's through books. So if we're reading books that other critics of this time are calling vulgar mm-hmm. and ludicrous that don't really teach us anything about the world but it shapes how we see the world yeah and we behave in the way that those heroines behave yeah they're gonna say that we're behaving badly yeah so this is also a time where women start well not start i would say the numbers go up mm-hmm. for being locked away mm-hmm. okay yeah. um institutions are a thing now bedlam you know like women are routinely placed in these facilities Mm -hmm. so i kind of want to formulate a question of study around that yeah so i want to open the table up to you guys with all these thoughts i know that they're kind of loosely linked together at this point yeah but i'd like to hear kind of like what you're thinking about what questions I thought of something, and it's, I don't want to say it's vulgar, but it was a, a character made by Henry Zabrowski. Oh, no. So, if you go on YouTube and you search Mr. Big Hands, <laughs> he has this, he like, he has, he's a stand-up, he's a comic, and um, he did a bit where, like, he had these huge hands, mm-hmm. and he's, like, making jokes about it, and at one point he says, I, sm- I spanked the Statue of Liberty. I taught. I told the Onia. I taught that that sprint, a French-speaking whore that book readings for men. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but the the thing about it is, that's a lot of history, and that's something that's still going on with like women's education in mm-hmm. some places. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's well, and how much is it a question of generations as well? I think play into it um, because like with the rivals it's the older people who are always saying yeah. why is she reading these books well and like in Spring um, Awakening as well like if we're yeah. going to use that as an example all of the adults are played by two actors yeah. mm-hmm. and it gives them a sense of every adult is the same Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone from that generation thinks the same Yeah. so yeah I think that's an interesting there's, there's a generational component to it I think mm-hmm 
And that's something we still see, you know, every, every new generation that comes, it's like, they're the great hope and, you know, oh, these are our kids. They're going to do great. And then as soon as we become adults and start thinking for ourselves, it's like, oh, they're terrible. And here's why Mm -hmm. everything they like is stupid. And, you know, so. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like that happens with, you know, kind of every generation. And and do you guys hear the, (laughs) I hear this a lot. But every generation goes through this. It's cyclical. When you're talking about literally anything. So like politics, Uh social reform ideas, anything like this. Yeah. And I always hear the, well, you don't understand because you're young. This happens all the time. It's cyclical. No, that's, but. But I don't think it should be. Yeah. If it's cyclical, that means the problem wasn't fixed. Yeah. And now it's our turn to deal with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we can't fix it, it'll be what generation is after us? Gen Z. Z. Yeah. It'll be Gen Z's problem, unfortunately. Yeah. If we make it there. Because mm-hmm. at this rate, we might not. Yeah. But Gen Z is very interesting to me. Yeah. They're an interesting group of people. I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for them. So I don't even know what was about to come out of my mouth. Woo! The yeah. Well, and I think Sometimes they'll say, you know, in regards to us being young, Mm -hmm. you know, number one, everyone likes to kind of talk shit about millennials, not realizing that none of us are kids anymore. No. (laughs) Even by like the latest, latest, latest millennials are born, I think is 2000. Mm -hmm. So... The youngest millennials are 19 right now. We are all adults. Yeah. The oldest are in their 30s. Their 30s. 30s. Yeah. yeah. So we're all adults. We're all in the workforce or finishing college. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think there's a this tendency to say, oh, you don't have enough life experience. You don't know it's anything. Like, no, because a lot of them are like our, the age group that would be like our parents or our grandparents. So mm-hmm. they still see us as children. And yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like I'm. Well, it's also, I feel like our generation has been through a lot in the short time we've been alive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, most of us, some of the younger millennials, maybe not, but most of us remember nine 11. It was nine 11 and then pre and post uh, Columbine too. Yeah. Yeah. And also recession. We've been yeah. through a lot of that. Yes. And I see a lot of things that say, you know, posts online where it's like millennials can't really relate to their parents, but grandparents who have like been through the depression and things like that. It, it's very, there's a, a sense of kind of, similar thinking, I guess. Mm-hmm. And partly to do with we don't have very much confidence in economic stability, yes. I would say. Um, well, I'd say we were related to our parents as well because I think our generation is now going through like the second coming of the counterculture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a big relationship. We have a lot of similarities to people who grew up in the 60s. Yes. Very um, much so. 60s and 70s, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much full of turmoil like it was. We started our lives out in war, <laughs> you know, yeah. like after 9-11, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, and there's a lot of fracturing, I would yeah. say, of movements. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's because no one can agree on the best way to do things. Yeah. So it makes, I mean, 
I all think we should be, I, I think, sorry, I think we all should be striving for finding the best way to do things, but at the same time, like, how do you balance that with we've got to make some progress on something? Yeah, mm-hmm. because I've heard a lot, like, oh, well, the powers that be, when they die off, it'll it'll get better. And I was like, but no. why do we have to wait till then? Yeah. Well, and also it's, you know, the powers that be create new people who become the powers that be. Exactly. And they're more likely to think that same way. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not to say that you can't change, but... Can't break the cycle, but most of the time yeah. it just stays that way. And it's very much a like, oh, wait your turn. But the thing is... It's like, well, our turn is now. Yeah. We're all adults. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, realistically, as far as, like, life expectancy... The people who are older, they're not going to be here as long, which doesn't mean they shouldn't have a say. It's just like, let up on the reins. It's not your world to control right now. You know, you should be passing this kind of down as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very interesting, specifically because it seems the older generation looks at our generation and Gen Z and says, you all feel entitled to things. But they're some of the most entitled people I know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're, it's the get the manager attitude. It's the get know? the manager attitude. It's also like, well, you want free health care for the whole country? But then you'll see ads on TV for like the baby boomer generation. It's like, get what you're entitled and what you deserve mm-hmm. from this insurance company. Yeah. It's like, well, but. But how's that any different? That's not. I, <laughs> and I don't think that, you know, wanting to take care of people is something that's so completely out of the question, particularly, I I feel like a lot of the arguments against it have to do with, oh, well, we'll spend too much money. But there's been several, like, studies done where it says, no, actually, we'll spend less money. It saves money. money. We will save money by doing this thing that is better for people. Yeah. So, I, and I don't know. Also, just the (sighs) empathy aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it seems like a whole generation missed out on an empathy gene. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, how and can you not it might care have, it about... It might have been because it was very much like, I gotta get care... I gotta take care of me first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it you was... Know? For a long time, it was very me and mine. Yes. I gotta um, take care of my family and me. Exactly, mm-hmm. but... Everyone I've, else has to do the same. Yeah, but I feel like with that, like if everyone, if I'm just at that time as well, there was a big community aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think, and we don't have that anymore. Yeah. I disagree. Well, I think in different ways we don't. I have think that. we have a changed view of community. Yes. Um, where it's globalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's partly due to the internet. Yeah, and I think oh, that's great as well. But I feel I feel like we also need more local. Absolutely, we as that is something that's missing out in our generation as a, a localized community. Because like I, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Because I, I came here to record, mm-hmm. and there was um, there's a group of kids around, yeah, and yeah. they're like just right, like walking around, just like riding their bikes and stuff. And I was like, I haven't seen that. In about 10 years. Mm-hmm. It may be more. Maybe mm-hmm. more, Like, yeah. that was, like, that. I think our group, our generation. We're kind of the our last group, ones. We were the last ones that had, like, that group of kids that we always just, like, 
We always congregated together. It was usually just kids around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of, you know, had our little pack and we did our thing. And like yeah. all the moms kind of knew, you know, just kept tabs on us. And yeah. mm-hmm. like, yeah. we lost that. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just because of what's happening in the world. Yeah. And yeah. So we lose trust with everybody. And I yeah. think it's just that. I would say so. And it's also this idea that, like, I think it's because of our 24-hour news cycle, right? Which is, like, Mm -hmm. still fairly new in terms of news reporting. But, like, to have this 24-hour news cycle on means you hear about everything bad happening all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that includes kids being kidnapped and it includes kids being trafficked. And what parent in their right mind would hear that and say, yeah, my kid can go out and play until it's dark. Yeah. You know, like, so in a way I understand that, but I think it's media based. Yeah. And while there are evil people and monsters out in the world, I don't think they're around every corner. Mm -hmm. I try not to think that way, but wow, this got (laughs) way. (laughs) That's great though. That, yeah, this is kind of the episode I was wanting about us mm. talking just about generalized things. I do want to talk about community again. Okay. And I'm glad you brought this up. Because going back to Jane Austen, there is this sense of women forming their own communities within mm-hmm. the male society. Yes. For sure. And they all kind of have their own language. Mm-hmm. They all speak a certain way. And again, some of it is what Jane Austen would call silly women's talk. But some of it's very important information sharing, which I think women have been doing for a very, very, very long time. Well, yeah. But we get called Chatty Cathy's. Yeah. So I'm reminded of Lady Susan, which is not... Yes! But it's maybe the lesser known of Jane Austen's works, just mm-hmm. because it's... I think it's considered juvenilia. Yeah. Because it's early. And it's different from, it, it's kind of shorter than the novels. And it's, it's epistle. Uh, yeah, epistolary. So it's letters is the, you know, the entire thing. But there's very much a sense of there are women's communities and they sort of have their group of friends and they talk to each other in a particular way. And I think a lot of what Lady Susan as a work focuses on is the differences between that network of women and how they talk and how they get things done versus how men get things done Mm -hmm. because men in that book are very sort of isolated from each other they do have their network but it's not quite the same and the one time I, I forget their names but his father tries to talk to him about something that his mother had said. Mm -hmm. And he says it in a way that completely just alienates him and makes him do the opposite of what, you know? So when men try to talk to each other, it's very much, they're sort of disjointed or isolated, but women know how to communicate, communicate and also have networks of communication Mm -hmm. amongst themselves. Like they run in kind of a, a circle And the goal of the circle is sort of to make sure everyone is, like, taken care of, which for this time means we got to get you married to a good guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's Lady Susan. I'm sorry I went off on Lady Susan. No, no, no. That's exactly, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what I was wanting to talk about. And I think that happened a lot when we were talking about, like, or it happens a lot now with more social, socialites. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not today as much, but I would say it still even happened like in the 40s and 50s, maybe even 60s. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Talking about Latino for um, Little Edie in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was, yeah. Running in a particular circle. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think that's very much true. And I think, so I'm having thoughts and yeah. they're all kind of circling around. It's going to take a minute to process here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. Because I want to read this little section from the book by Deborah O'Keefe, Good Girl Messages. Mm-hmm. And this is from chapter five. Hell, I should probably read the table of contents. Okay. Should I? It's, it's pretty interesting, I yeah. would say. Okay, so these are her chapter titles. Um, the first one is Horizontal Heroines. Oh, dear. Chapter two, Fluttery Girls and Bloody-Minded Boys, Where Girls Fit In. Hmm. Chapter three, What Girls Could Do Without Losing Their Girlishness. What? Chapter four, Girls with Grown-Ups, Loving Authority and Melting Hostility. Hmm. Chapter five, Girls and Their Friends, Civilized by the Group. Chapter 6, Girls and Boys, Conservative Romance. And Chapter 7, Today's Terrific New Girl Heroes. Okay. Now, this was published in 2000. Okay. Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's a little dated, but I think it still holds fairly true for yeah. what yeah. it is. So, this section I'm going to read comes from Chapter 5, which is Girls and Their Friends, Civilized by the Group. And I think this kind of comes into play with this idea of women's communities. Yeah. So Deborah O'Keefe says three patterns emerge in stories about girls groups. One, being in a group helped a girl, flawed and feeble as an individual on her own, finds completion, support, and vicarious perfection. This allowed her to be slightly different from others yet still fit in smoothly. Or two, being in a group helped a girl change and improve herself. She learned to eliminate any sour notes in her personality that might threaten the harmony of the circle. This allowed her to become more similar to others. Uh, or three, the group served as an inspiration to its members, another kind of super ego, fostering good girlish qualities like duty, cooperation, and guilt. It might seem that girls in formal groups would probably be subversive, a protection against all the mothers, teachers, and other adult mentors who smothered their girls in wholesome messages. You said duty. Yes, I said <laughs> duty. That's all you took from that. <laughs> so I think I can understand some of that, like, civilized by the group thing. Because I feel like when you become friends with someone or you have a group of close friends, you sort of take on each other's mannerisms or oh i do that so yeah much i i picked I, on your all right yeah. <laughs> all right all right and pretty much a mix of every woman i've ever yeah, met I, like, yeah you know and and spent any amount of time with. yeah and i pick up on mannerisms very quickly yeah same. and i'm just i mm-hmm. i learned that i'm just like what am i doing why am i doing this yeah. <laughs> i think that has more to do with us being theater people than women but i don't know yeah, That's kind of my because I think all three of us are sort of sponges that kind yes. of soak up everything around us. We're also very observant, so and very observant, which yeah. I yeah, I don't know. That's my I think that's any that. kind of group, I, and I feel like maybe I mean I'm not a dude, so I can't speak specifically to dudes groups, but and I will say when I was in high school and had mostly male friends, it still held true. You know, I would pick up on some of their mannerisms for better or worse yeah you know? yeah um mostly worse <laughs> I, think it, I think it formed my sense of humor sure sometimes. sure yeah 
like a particular set of my sense of humor and it's very I still sometimes laugh at things that I'm like that's a high school boy yeah like so yeah so I think it's any group not particularly women but and I will do things sometimes I think we're socialized and, and changed by socialization yeah I'd like to ask you why I think part of it is probably to do with we recognize that we need to belong to society to a degree. We at least need to be able to function around other people, most of us generally. And like, unless you live on a mountain by yourself, you've mm. got to, you know, know how to navigate with other people. And so I think it's a very complicated, almost like imprinting, you know, like mm-hmm. ducks will imprint and stuff. I think it's partly that. Or in Twilight. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm sorry. I felt like I needed a light in the moon. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, you didn't. You just irritated us. I'm sorry. You're not. I love you. (laughs) But I think to a degree it's that, and we become very good from a very young age at mimicking in in some ways and sort of doing the things that we see being done. And it's like, like we talked about reality TV last time yeah, and how there are girls who kind of want to mimic that. And I think that's sort of whatever we consume, whatever we're around, whatever we see other people doing is kind of what will internalize and will become part of how we behave. Yeah. So like with me, sometimes I will do something and then I stop and go, Oh my God, that's something like, that's exactly how my mother would do it. Oh, same. Same. Me too. Very much so. I think that's every mother daughter though. Yeah. Like, and gestures particularly or uh how I say something. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself going, that was something my mother would do. Yeah. Like exactly like that. Yeah. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. But I think this idea of like mimicking or having, the rough edges smoothed out uh-huh. is it comes back to this like behaving badly idea, uh-huh. right? Like we're, we're taught from a very young age to mimic, mm-hmm. or I would also use the term mask yeah, and almost take on a different persona entirely yeah. because it's, it's socialization. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things that we're not expected to do or, or talk yeah. about or say, or, or I don't know, don't laugh too loudly, you yeah. know, like, yeah. Well, so. and I was just talking about today, like I have my work personality. Yeah. You know, right. And yep. like, I, I can feel myself when I come home, sort of like Shut coming, it. coming down from my work personality. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so yeah, same. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I'm like two faced or anything like that. It's just like, it's a code switching. It's a code sort switching. Of yeah. It's, it's not negative. Well, I don't think it's negative. Yeah. I feel like it's not that it's not my personality. It's just I highlight different things depending on the situation. Right. And I, I think that's a human thing. Yeah. I think humans do that. Mm-hmm. It's particularly interesting to me when we look at historic women. Yeah. And we know that, again, going back to like these novels, right? Like that's where they're like the swooning and the fainting, uh-huh. right? Like that didn't just start. Mm-hmm. That was written. And I think women started copying it. Yeah. Well, my, one of my questions, I it guess, It also has is, to do with their corsets, but well, that's another story. Yeah. I guess one of my questions is, why is that so alluring? Like, why is that particular behavior something that they see 
as wanting yes, to copy. Ashley, yes, you might answer. I don't know if I can answer as to why it's something they want to copy. Mm-hmm. But I can say that it's alluring, especially from if we're talking about like a male author writing something about fainting women of this um, time. It's a vulnerability mm-hmm. through the male gaze that can be very attractive. So you think women are copying it to be seen as more so like, it's attractive desirable. Or, yeah. So it's not like the fainting goats where it's kind of funny, kind of endearing. Literally that would be me if I was on a <laughs> I'd be a fainting goat. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about them because I don't want you to be sad. I know exactly what you're going to say, and it makes me sad every time I think about it, which is a lot. You think about fainting goats? I think about fainting goats a lot. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I would say that they're copying it to be desirable. Mm -hmm. I think they're copying, they, it's possible that they, scholar Ashley Brain's taking over. Yeah. I think it is possible. Yeah. That socially women start copying this idea from novels because they identify with the heroine. Okay. Yeah. And it's this identifying with this person who's going on adventures, who is experiencing life. And it's not all good, mm-hmm. but they are experiencing it. And, yeah. and vicariously, these women are experiencing it themselves and yeah. bringing it into reality. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's something like that. I think. I think for women of this time, and I'll say even today, like as a, I'm going to use the term private reader, which is kind of a literary theory uh, term from whatever, it doesn't matter. But there's this private reader aspect, right? Where from the get go, if it's good, you're identifying I as me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would also call it a, a blurring of the subjective and objective boundary. Like, there's, there's, if it's a good book, because there are some books that are not good, I never identified with Bella, is what I'm saying. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, but. It's hard to. She's kind of a cardboard cutout. She is. She doesn't pass the sexy lamp test. No. What? The sexy lamp test? Okay. So there's several different tests of, like, if it's good representation. And one of them is if she can be replaced with a sexy lamp and the plot still works, then it's not like good representation. For no. Women. So same thing that uh, sort of like the Bechdel test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's several different ones, but I like the sexy lamp test just because it's the, the it's, silliest. <laughs> yeah, it is. I want to come back to that. Yeah. The, um, this blurring of the boundary between your own subjective and the objective of the text. Mm. Um, if it's a good book, that boundary is going to blur and you're going to be thinking about that book even when you're not reading it. Yes. Right. And it can feel like an experience. Yeah. I forgot where I was going with this now. Oh, great. We were talking about how, (laughs) like why women chose to, to start the kind of fainting swooning. Ah, yes. Yeah. Putting the scientific physical restrainment of a corset aside. Yeah. I think there's this idea of being able to pick up a book, having that boundary blurred for these women. Yeah. And wishing to see that in their reality, mm-hmm. which I think is another argument that Jane Austen's making in Northanger Abbey. Yeah. Which I don't think like Catherine wants the Abbey to be haunted. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think she's Jane Austen as a author. Mm-hmm. 
is arguing that if you're not educating the women and this is their education through novels, Mm -hmm. this shapes their world. This is how they will see the world. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you got to give them education. Yeah. I think Northanger Abbey is Jane Austen's vindication of a woman's right. Yeah. That's that's my two cents about Northanger Abbey. Yeah. I want to get back to your sexy lamp test here. Yeah. This might actually be a really good time to take a break because we're going to be switching gears. Okay. Um, so you guys enjoy your ad. We're going to take a little break. Stay tuned for sexy lamp test. Hey. <laughs> Right. So going back to sexy lamps, mm-hmm. I want to read like from... Like the leg lamp? Like in- yes! That's what I always picture. Fragile. Must yeah. be a talent. Yeah. From a Christmas story. I used to have a, a table lamp keychain. A leg, a leg lamp keychain. Oh my god. My parents <laughs> have a leg lamp string lights. That's amazing. They, they have the den <laughs> 24, a- not like all year round. My family and I used to watch that movie on Christmas, like Christmas Eve every year. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done it for a couple years. We before, watched but. Sound of Music. Interesting. That is interesting. We just do. <laughs> One year we skipped um, Christmas Story and watched Passion of the Christ. Okay. That's a very, like, stark change. <laughs> and then the next year I was like, we're watching Elf. Okay. And Elf was our movie of the year for a couple years after that. Okay. And then we all, me and my brother kind of moved away and we haven't watched it. Um, so what, what movie has it been now? We moved away, so it hasn't been. So what, on Christmas, y'all just like... We open gifts and talk to each other. Oh, like which adults. is nice. That's good. <laughs> Listen, sometimes adults need a movie. Yeah. I try to get them to watch a movie, but they never do. Um, how about Evil Dead? That's a good one. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Oh, dear. Okay, so to get us back to the sexy lamp test, uh-huh. I want to read again from Deborah O'Keefe's book. Yeah. Um, and this is from her first chapter, Horizontal Heroines. Oh, dear. Oh, which very much reminds me of Mo Warning, who like- was a teacher we had at, uh, at our college that KB and I met at. Yeah. She used to call, um, if people were late to class, she would call them a horizontal whore. When they were late to class? I feel yeah. like that was like a reserved... No, 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 no. When they were late to class, she would say horizontal whore. Oh, dear. And if they did other things, they were trollops. Yeah. That was the pattern I saw. Okay. I never really put much thought into it. I was just like... I thought about her a lot. I mean, I think about her a lot. Yeah. Moral of the story, get to class on time. Yeah. And don't be a horizontal whore. Anyway. This is like a pearl-clutching title of the chapter. Yes, yes, absolutely. First chapter in the book. Oh, goodness. Um, She writes, First, some readers and researchers maintain that if girls do not encounter strong female models in their reading, they can and will identify with the male models. Mm -hmm. I'm skeptical about this. Surely many girl readers learned from their reading that females are the bystanders and the comforters and the sufferers, not the adventurers. A second question concerns the quote-unquote cop-out plot pattern. 
In the many books where a young girl starts out lively and active, but ends up ladylike and docile, were girl readers more strengthened by her early independence or weakened by her ultimate passivity? I want to talk about this in terms of modern day media. Yeah. Specifically film. Mm -hmm. Because I think we've come across this time where I don't want to name names. Okay. Can I name the names? No. Because I do not want to get sued. (laughs) But I think film companies have realized girl power, quote unquote. Uh, Okay. um, Can make money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this idea of inclusivity can make money. Yeah. And my point is, is you cannot take a script that featured a male lead and make that Billy into a Sue. Yeah. Because um, that's not. That's I would not say how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would say it's because there are certain like, fundamental experiences that women and men experience differently, Mm -hmm. I think. Just based on, like, how society treats them and, like, there's a variety of factors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like we were talking about, you know, women, quote-unquote, behaving badly. If they were men, it would be called, like, they're strong and independent. A maverick. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it just, it frames it differently. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I yes. think that I, and I, I don't know where I, I, I'm very conflicted within myself about what I think about this whole mm-hmm. thing Yeah, with, you know, production companies. I, it's great. We're getting more representation. Absolutely. That's yes. wonderful. But I also, that's not like, the problem here. There's like a bitter taste in my mouth yeah. from it though, because I know they've caught on to, Oh, we can make money from this. Yes. And what I see and I think it might be because I'm interested in directing. Mm-hmm. I see female directors putting out stunning films yeah. that feature very strong women who are women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could find myself identifying with them. Yeah. But their movies get called lackluster, where you could have a man direct a film mm-hmm. that features women as a starring portion of it. Yeah. But they're not necessarily good representation. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. Quote unquote. Yeah, it's called Phenomenal. Um, and I think I I think I pick up on that. I'm a, maybe I'm a little bit more alert to that because I'm tired of directing being a, a boys game. Yeah. Yes. Um, or a boys club, whichever yeah. euphemism you want to use for it. Yeah. But I, I'm very concerned about where we're going. Well, and I think at that point you need to ask who are the critics as well. Men. <laughs> um, who's producing, who's putting money into Like, who at all stages of the process is involved mm-hmm. in getting to that point? And what is their understanding of the, I guess, condition of being a woman? Like, that, mm-hmm. that sort of, what sort of life you live and what's different about that. And Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's, yeah, that's, and, and I feel like this is something that we see in sort of literature and film and a lot of different things where, you know, you'll get this male character who's feeling deeply or what whatever. And it's, it's regarded as this great piece of literature, this great, whatever it is. 
mm-hmm. that really explores the human condition and you know and then you get the same thing but it's a male I mean a female protagonist yeah a woman and then it's called oh it's over emotional it's too much I'm gonna push that even further mm-hmm. and say it is also male author versus female author yeah yes Jack Kerouac I think is a prime example of this yeah um, on the road should not be considered a classic in my opinion. I think it's very overwrought. It's very degrading to many different people. Yeah. But it's about a white male protagonist going across the country with his dude bros. Yeah. And doing anything they want and mm-hmm. then leaving it. Yeah. And see, I... I have very particular feelings about this book because, and it's not just the book itself. I have feelings about the book itself, but I also have particular feelings about the lengths, mostly men. I will say it's mostly been men. I've talked to about this book who have this response, but the links they will go to, to defend it. Exactly. And when I point out things like, Oh, they're all pedophiles. They'll say, "Oh, but wait," and I'm like, "No, no there's no it doesn't but matter. Wait. There's no but wait. There is no but wait." If a man is of a certain age looking at a girl, yeah, a child of a certain age, it's pedophile. Yeah, that's it. There's no but and there's if no... and let me decipher this message in the text. Yeah. Like, there, no, it was a grown ass man looking at fifteen to younger girls coming home from school. Yeah. This, this and not dude, just looking. Spoilers for the book, but not just looking. Not just looking. No way. No way. I, I'm i against censorship, so I'm not saying that the book shouldn't exist and not be read. Mm-hmm. It should not be in the American canon. Or I think it... See, I understand why it, it represents... I just came to, really hard for Jack Kerouac. You did. I <laughs> Sorry, I... I I hate the beat generation. I fall in the camp of, I understand why it's about a particular moment and why it maybe still can be talked about, but I think. And he's when you're, talked about as historical context, I think. Y- yes. And when you're talking about it, I think you have to be very careful about how you talk about it mm-hmm. because it is extremely degrading to women. People of color. Lo- yeah. People of color. And there are lots of instances of, again, pedophilia Pedophilia. is one example. Straight up pedophilia. Yeah. And I, it deeply, deeply bothers me the links that people go to, to defend the work. Do we want to talk about what's his face? Um, Burroughs? No. Yeah. Allen. Ginsburg. Hmm. Mm. Uh, I don't Woo! Know. Come on, let's go. I'm ready. Ash- I got my boxing gloves. Yeah. Oh, Ashley, Ashley really, really dislikes. I'm going to say all, all the authors who are in part of this movement, and I understand why. And and the thing is, so again, it comes down to canonization, right? So what do we decide is the canon, and who decided that? Mm-hmm. Because for a lot of history, it's been like, let's be honest, white men Mm -hmm. and they decide what gets in the canon. And so a lot of white male stories get put in the canon, I feel like. And that's, I mean, that is what it is. 
And I'm not saying that we have to completely disregard any of those stories, but I also think when we talk about them, we have to consider that there will be some people who will not have the same reaction or the same experience with that text that some people do. And when they voice opinions saying like, I did not connect to this or this was deeply hurtful or this was which the, is like the, the whole problems. point of literature is for yeah. everyone to have different viewpoints yes. and ideas about What's what the, the text purpose means. of but I think sometimes when people say I really hate this book and here's why it's because it's terrible on these levels then they'll say oh you're not scholarly enough you just don't understand and it's like no and, they're being a misogynist to a lady that they're acting as a tourist in her life yeah no yeah. absolutely not so I think we, when people, specifically women and people of color, when they express viewpoints like that, I think so many times people will say, oh, but you just don't understand. And that's not the case. I 100% understand. Yeah. I get exactly I, and what's I going on. It's, it's that historical, like, closing of academia to anyone besides white men. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, historically, it's been that that's what academia is. Uh -huh. yep. And there's still, whether, whether consciously or not, there's still things like that where it's sort of a you're not welcome here thing or you're not oh, whatever you just don't get it. Yeah. And that's not at all true. And I think we need to make more room for viewpoints like that I and discussions say, like that. I will say there are turns of phrases mm -hmm. and portions of his prose uh -huh. that I think could be studied yeah. as aesthetically good. Yes. See, here's I my think the same feeling. I Burroughs. Yeah, here's my feeling about all of them. I feel like they all should have been poets. 100%. Because yeah. I feel like Carolyn, Except for Allen Ginsberg. He shouldn't have been doing I mean, anything. Ginsberg. And, like, again, his poetry is... Pedophilic. Yes. But there's oh, I'm sorry, pedergasty. Is that what he? What does he call it? It's pedophilia. I'm sorry. It it's is not. But but anyway, there, and I think particularly with Kerouac, it's all those jazz scenes. Yes, 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 yes. And the thing about it is, I I was reading this as a person who has a fairly extensive vocabulary. I'd like to say. And there were words that I didn't completely understand, but it has a certain cadence and a flow to it. That you it understand. And a, yes. Whether or not you yeah. understand each individual word, it that doesn't matter. No. It's all kind of a feeling that you get from it. Yeah. So I really 100% uh, believe that they all should have just been poets and edited more. 100%. <laughs> so, there is not a reason On the Road should be as long as it is. Yeah. It's the same thing that happens over and over again over a series of years. Mm-hmm. That is pointless. Kerouac should have stuck to beat poetry. I think he would have been magnificent. Mm. I think he still would have been human trash. But I think his poetry could be studied. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think the same for Burroughs. Mm -hmm. William Burroughs. He has beautiful phrases. Yeah, Most of it is... I'm going to say unreadable. <laughs> it's a lot. Because there's just so much... I, I can't I can't get on board with this romanticization of heroin use. Yeah, I can't either. Um, especially today when, like, opiate use is such a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it needs to be rethought. We need to restructure how we read Burroughs. Mm -hmm. But 
he does have beautiful phrases. Like the, the phrase, um, about America and the land always and being it's always cursed. Been cursed yeah. It's always been cursed. Like that has stuck with me mm-hmm. since I read Burroughs. Yeah. That tells me that it's beautiful and it's aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. And that is something to look at. Yeah. However, <laughs> there's a lot of the rest of the book that is just, I also think Burroughs would have been a magnificent science fiction. Writer. I was just about to say, yes, I agree. Cause there's this whole Dystopian, section of naked lunch. Yeah. That is like in this, different plane of existence. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it's, what he calls the different. I don't remember, but, but yeah. But yeah. And it, it is very dystopian and it's very looking at how government works. I, I think he would have been a phenomenal science fiction writer if he could pull his own head out of his ass. <laughs> Ashley has very strong opinions. But yeah, because, so, you know why it is, is because we don't hear about the women of the beat generation. Yeah. Because they weren't, they were gatekeepers. They, they were gatekeepers. Yeah. Because we don't hear about them. And the women we do hear about the counterculture, like, I'm going to say, or not specifically the counterculture, but literature of this time period, Sylvia Plath, mm-hmm. the only thing we fucking remember about her is that she stuck her head in the oven. Yeah. And it's like, no, God damn it. She wrote beautiful things. Yeah. And she was deeply hurt. Yeah. And the one thing we're going to remember about her is that she stuck her head in the oven. Fuck you. I'm done. Ashley gets very riled up. So, I guess linking... I have linking, other things to say. Yeah. <laughs> I guess linking back to this overarching theme of behavior. I got very angry. Yeah. I'm you sorry. Want me, you want me to make you... I'm sorry that I was behaving badly and acting out. Do you no, want me to make you even okay. more angry? Yes. Pie's better than cake. No. <laughs> we can't. We can't. We can't. So, this question about behavior. So, this question, this question about behavior, and it goes, again, kind of with the um, the Kerouac stuff and the Burroughs stuff. I really came for the beat You writers. did. You did. And that's that's okay. You know? Um but they're allowed to kind of indulge in Did these you? behaviors, right? And they're allowed to write about these behaviors. And there's generations of young men who have read their books and have it idolized was like the most these formative trips. book they've yes, ever read. Exactly. And like, that should not be. So I think uh, we uh. allow men to indulge in that. Mm-hmm. But then we say, oh, women reading novels and they're so swoony and yeah. all this stuff. And we make fun of women for reading romance novels and you know, we kind There's of There's a reason they're it reading a them, though. Yeah. One, yeah. because the men are idealized, right? Yeah. Like, they're... They listen. Yeah. And I think I that's something... I thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's just I'm also... <laughs> they're the Lifetime movie hero as well. They're like... Yeah. They're a veterinarian, but they make furniture for orphans in their free time. Yeah. <laughs> they live in your hometown because they like to I've take care of I've never read a mom. romance novel, like, but that's what they all look like. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or it's like shirtless Scottish men yeah. or something. I mean, that's all, that's just... Yeah. Just, just, I but, told Katie Beth we were going to read a romance novel together as like part of a summer book club. Yeah. I kept finding the funniest looking Scottish ones. I was like, we have to read this. Yeah. I'm going to read it in a Scottish brogue. Uh-huh. See, I actually think that I would make a 
halfway decent romance novel author. Sometimes. I think you would scandalize yourself. I would for sh- for one hundred percent. I don't think you would be able to get over that. See, I don't know. I would just be like, you should no one I know can read it. I will read it. You, you, it's fine. Okay, I, you should do it. Oh my gosh! And see where it goes. I can't do. I can't do the like very sexual. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It would just be like it's the equivalent. My like quote unquote sex scenes in my romance non-existent romance novels would be the like equivalent of the film just being like they kiss and then it pans to the window. Oh my you know, god! Like that's <laughs> no, you know what would be romantic? Be like we made yeah. was like we made grilled cheeses and then we watched Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Or we watched, yes, <laughs> true romance. But anyway, that's the true romance. But anyway, <laughs> but back to kind of books and and things like that. We allow men to sort of indulge in this this bad behavior or mm-hmm. whatever, and then we allow them to write about it for them to read about it. But then women, it's not quite the same. Yeah, and historically yeah. hasn't been quite the same. Yeah. So I think that's that's something to take from this is it's all part of that sort of double standard sort of thinking. Yeah. And what exactly is behaving badly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the reason I was interested in bringing this up as kind of just a generalized topic episode Mm -hmm. is because like our, our tagline, right? Like we want to talk about women who change history and make waves. Yeah. That means not necessarily behaving as they should. Yeah. Um, or are expected. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say behave as they should because yeah. that's not should is a, yeah. Behaving as they're expected to. Yeah. And I think that kind of is like this overall general theme of women that we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, and mm-hmm. we talked about like worst women in Sydney. Yeah. And Which, like, you guys, y'all need to listen to different episodes. <laughs> Because Worst Women in Sydney is our most popular for sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's awesome. We have like listeners in Australia too. And I'm like, I really hope you're not offended by anything we said. I mean, I, don't, I think I, we are pretty okay on that episode. I, you know, Australia is a very interesting place. I can get down with Australia. I'm going to say this there is not enough money in the world. To get me to go one to million of dollars, venomous things. What if every what if, animal there could kill me, Ashley, and I can't run into the ocean? You know why? Because there's more things that because there's you. sharks. Ashley, yeah. what if what if Griffin McElroy gave me gave you twenty five billion dollars? Griffin's too much of a sweet soft boy. He couldn't take Australia. <laughs> what if what if all the McElroy boys just gave you like? Do they're just like? Hey, here's twenty five million bajillion dollars. That's not a real number. Yes, it is. And they're like, "We'll pay for your trip to Australia. You don't even have, like. You just have to set your foot outside of the airport, and then you can go back." No, you know why? Because that split second of me putting my foot out there, bit dead. Actually, why are you being? You know so- why? No antidote on the plane. What? <laughs> there are people currently living in Australia who've lived there for a long time. I have no dying. idea how they've done it. They have to be superheroes. You know what? I'm not. I'm not a superhero. There, they have birds there that like live in the trash cans, and they're called bin chickens. 
They're called what? Bin chickens. Bin chickens. <laughs> is that a true story? Is yes. that a real thing? Yeah, Google bin chickens. Are they actually chickens? Or are they no, there's, it's a bird. Bin what? chickens. Oh my god! It's an ibis. You guys. They like are, those are the birds that are depicted in Egyptian hieroglyphs. Yeah, bin chickens. Literally, the Egyptians were carving what? bin chickens. <laughs> It's like supposed to be a majestic, wonderful bird that's, that's amazing. Features in fine art. They're that. always on the side of the Nile. See, but this that's is- every time I every time I've seen one of these birds, it's in a it's in a documentary about ancient Egypt, and they're filmed on the side of the Nile, Ugh. standing in the water majestically, so- and then they fly <laughs> off into the sunset. You just burped into the mic. We're keeping it in. That's going in. Sally, you know what? That was your last ASMR chance. No, it wasn't. No, it, it, wasn't. Was. it was. No, it was. You know why it was? Because you did it directly into the mic. I couldn't control it. it just you couldn't out. turn your head? No. Mm. It sneaked out. It But I guess as a way to kind of like wrap this up, we we kind of wrap. You're up. welcome. I put the cap on the end of the episode to wrap up for real. We've kind of already talked about like this overall general and connecting it back, right? Yeah. I want to go ahead and I went off on the beat generation. Yeah. Yes. As part of the recommendation for like other things to look at mm-hmm. that we try to do every episode. Yeah. One of them, Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Go read Sylvia Plath. Go read Virginia Woolf. Oh, I will yeah. say, if you're going to read Sylvia Plath, make sure you're in a healthy mental space beforehand. <laughs> or not, and experience it with her. See, Just this is my thing. go to the and kitchen. Listen. Just make sure I, you don't have a gas stove. I, you guys, we can't. We I, can't ju- I just gave people this. shit about that. So... My thing is, and why I haven't read several things, including like *Handmaid's Tale* and *The Bell Jar*. We didn't even get to that today. I was going to talk about obedience in *The Handmaid's Tale*. Yeah. So the reason that I, I, these are things that I, Margaret Atwood, next episode. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) These are things that I want to read very much, but also I feel like you know your own self best. Take care of yourself before, like, like. Caring for yourself is more important than reading yes. literature. That's very important. And like yeah. reading literature is very important to me. So you know that I'm serious. Like, yeah, no, I get you. I haven't read Flowers for Algernon yet because I've not been in a correct oh, headspace. It's so good. Though. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So anyway, read, read other people besides what's in the canon. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Also, of course, check out the books I mentioned earlier. Princesses Behaving Badly by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. And Good Girl Messages by Deborah O'Keefe. Um, along with that, because I also talked about female directors, I highly recommend checking out Jennifer Kent as a director. She directed The Babadook. Oh, okay. And she has a new film coming out this year. It's um, supposed to... I don't know when it's supposed to come out. It was at the Venice Film Festival earlier this year um, mm. called The Nightingale. Okay. I'm very interested in to see what that is. Yeah. Another kind of director hero of mine is Sofia Coppola. Yeah. Um, Mm. I think she's probably a little bit more well-known. Yeah. But um, I would say check out some of her other stuff besides Marie Antoinette. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, like, stunning visually. And the music. Oh, 
Yes. But I would check out in the Civil War. Um, yes. The Beguiled? The Beguiled. Yeah. The Beguiled um, was a fantastic film <laughs> with a stellar cast. And I highly recommend you check out her work. Just do not watch it in a mosquito-infested theater. Well, like we, we can't did. even get into that right now. Ugh. Okay. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We're going to wrap up here. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're at Legendary Lasses on all of those. Also, be sure to check out our website. It's legendarylasses.wordpress.com. And that's where we post everything to do with the episodes, any links or information, pictures, things like that. We'll post on the website. Um, what else? Let's see. Uh, we're on several platforms, including yes. Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can and you like us enough, you can go and give us a review and a rating on any platform that does that. Yeah. Um, be sure to, you know, give us a rating, write us a review. That really helps us out a lot and helps other people find the podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, even if you don't listen on a, a platform that uses a rating system, still tell us what you think. You can yeah. message us on Facebook, email us, anything like that. We'd really love to hear. Um, Have we either... sent our email yet? Yeah, okay. I think. Legendarylasses at gmail.com. Yeah, legendarylasses at gmail.com. And you can tell us either what you think or... Um, if you have any suggestions for us, as or far you know, as or just or just to say that I'm the best, that Sally's the best. Yeah, yeah. weigh in on the pie cake debate well, or whatever. Else. I'll delete it. Oh dear. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can do that as well. Also, if you really, really, really like us, um, you can be as awesome as Ron and Gabby Davis and go to Anchor.fm/LegendaryLasses and click on support this podcast which is going to be a donation to us, which we'll use to get books for research, upgrade our equipment, uh, and just better the quality of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but only if you really, really, really like us. Yeah. Or don't like us. We need money. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Now go out, make waves, change history, and stay legendary. And kick some ass! Behave yourselves. Mm-hmm.